Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am very excited to be welcoming Fuad Masri to the show this hour. And I think of Colossians chapter 4. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Fuad is an Arab Christian who's been involved with a ministry to Muslims for over 30 years, and he's going to give us some incredible insights as to how to build trust with our Muslim brothers and sisters, and how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I think, according to Fuad, they're spiritually very hungry, so we need to be equipped and ready to go. So we'll uh, take a little break, and then when we come back, we will be uh, bringing Fuad Masri onto the show. Thanks for listening. I'll take a short break and be right back. Start your day with good news from God's Word every day by signing up for the Faith Radio Verse of the Day. You'll be uplifted and encouraged when you text the word VERSE to 555-888 and start receiving daily scripture verses. That's VERSE to 555-888. Or have it delivered as an email by going to MyFaithRadio.com and clicking on Verse of the Day under the Subscriptions tab. Keep growing your faith with the Faith Radio Verse of the Day. You've heard a talk show before, but maybe not like this. See, the question as you go this morning about worship is not whether you enjoyed it. It's whether God enjoyed it. When we hallow God's name in worship, we're not focusing on personalities or on performance. What we aspire to is the experience that God is really among us. Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to be welcoming back to the program Fuad Masri. He is the founder of the Crescent Project. Started that in 1993 to help Christians overcome the barriers that they may have to building spiritually fruitful friendships with Muslims. And he is a lecturer and an author, and he was uh, born and raised in the war zone of Beirut, Lebanon. He's had a passion for reaching Muslims since 1979. So when it Ever I get a chance to talk to Fuad, I jump at the opportunity, and he's with us today. Hello, Fuad. Hi, Bill. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. And uh, how is uh, life for you right now? That was just a personal question. No problem. We are uh, um, enjoying our uh, move to Nashville, Tennessee. We moved our headquarters from Indianapolis to Nashville. Nice. And uh, we are now in 63. We have a presence in 63 countries. And we praise the Lord. We're in 31 cities, and we're seeing more people be, uh, be open to the gospel, listening, asking questions. Um, I was on the phone this morning with a Turkish background believer who lives in Europe, 
and uh, we're answering tough questions on how to respond to her family and how to be able to minister to her family and show them the love of Jesus. So we're really excited about that. We, we're really also excited that we had a wonderful conference in Europe where we had 43 uh, Muslim background believers from different countries, including North Africa and the Middle East. And we also praise God that our intensive training this year was in Tennessee, in Nashville, also attracted uh, more than 100 people who are heading to plant churches and live among um, and Muslim communities, live among Muslims and shine the light of Jesus. Fuad, should we ever be surprised at how powerful God works in the lives of people? You know, God is always moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, my theology, as I read the Bible, God is always moving, and God is always moving in all nations. The idea that uh, God is limited, He is not. It's, uh, we cannot. He is, he's the God of the universe. He's holy, holy, holy. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He can change day to night and night to day. And the Bible says we're when God opens a door, no one will shut it. And when God shuts a door, no one will open it. <laughs> and we, we see that as you read Scripture, you find out that God's heart, when people ask me, what is God's will? God's heart is that no one will perish, but all come to repentance. Um, so God has been working. And in the last uh, decade, even two decades, we're seeing Muslims respond in a different way. Muslims are taking Bibles. Muslims are asking serious questions. Does God love me? Can I have forgiveness of my sin? Can I have the uh, ability to live a godly life? Um, you know, uh, what, what, what do I do with the shame I have? What do I do with the fear I have? And all these things, uh, the Bible answers directly uh, because the, the Bible answers the deepest questions of the human heart. It doesn't matter if you're from a Christian background, Muslim background, Jewish background, no religious background. The Bible answers the deep questions, and Muslims are asking. And then the third thing we're noticing is that Muslims are making the decision. They are deciding to follow Jesus. And they are deciding, they are being discipled, and many are now taking steps to be leaders, not only in their churches and in their community, but also joining ministries that are sharing gospel, whether online or on, on uh, satellite television or even ministries like us, which we are in the trenches. So although our ministry is heavy on training, it's because our goal is to see Muslims hear the gospel. So all our staff share the gospel with Muslims, but their number one priority is to bring others with us. It's the, I call it the Jesus model. Mm-hmm. Jesus brought others with him. I love it that. It didn't matter if, you know, it, thank you. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that the disciples were good enough. It was that he was good enough and brought them with him. Mm-hmm. Now, Fuad, I'm I'm always uh, loving what you're doing globally for Muslims, reaching them, reaching them for Christ. But if we could just kind of come to America here for a minute, because I think ever since 9/11, there's been this small default response people have when they encounter Muslims as almost their threats to be feared. So I think what happens is we get a little bit of mistrust, we get a little bit of miscommunication. I know communication and trust is very important uh, when it comes to sharing Christ with anybody, but maybe you could talk as to how it affects the Muslim community. Yeah, there's, let, me, let me respond to this on, on two sides of the same coin. It is okay to feel fearful. It's okay to feel angry. 
many times we feel guilty that we feel fearful or angry. I hope people are angry that September 11 happened. I hope that Christians are angry that there was a shooting in San Bernardino in a Christmas party. I mm-hmm. hope people are angry when they see the terrorist attacks. I, I understand the fear. What we are asking the Christians to say, Jesus is with me. I can. It's okay to be angry, but I can be angry and not sin. I can be fearful, but I can still take a step by faith. When Jesus asked Peter to, st- to walk on water, it, Jesus was not asking Peter not to have fear, but rather he was asking Peter to have faith. Mm, and so our challenge for the believers today is not that you should not be afraid when you watch these terrorist attacks and all this. No, that's normal. That's God's given, uh, as you say, logic. It is okay. But the thing that we're asking Christians is to look beyond the outside. So when I see a Muslim woman with a, with a hijab, I immediately start praying for them. I see a prayer for her. Uh, if I get the chance, I mean, if I get to talk to her, usually we don't encourage, you know, male and female conversations. But I was standing in O'Hare Airport, and the lady stood next to me uh, with a hijab, and I said, "Salamu alaykum." She goes, "Why salam?" I said, "Where are you from?" She goes, "I'm from Morocco. My name is Fatima. Oh, nice meeting you. I'm from Lebanon." I said to her, "I wrote a book called Adha in the Injil." on why, uh, why, how Christians believe in the sacrifice of Abraham. And she goes, oh, I'd love a copy. It's a small booklet. So I gave it to her. And it was, a, you know, it was like a three-minute conversation mm-hmm. in an you know, airport standing waiting for the train. But um, I was uh, invited to meet uh, Khalid from uh, Syria. I had a great conversation. Uh, that was two weeks ago. He asked for a Bible. He said, I've been looking on YouTube and looking on the Internet. And I would like to follow Jesus. He did his own homework. So I asked him if he'd like to invite Jesus into his life. And he said yes. So he prayed and received Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. But God had already been there discussing. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, when Muslims feel that you're afraid from them, when Muslims feel that we're judging them, although we don't know them, that adds to building interpersonal walls. People feel like, since you don't trust me, you know, uh, you don't like me, why should I like you back? And it is important that as believers, and you see that in America a lot, uh, as believers, we need to take the initiative to show them welcome and love. And I'll be honest with you, in the last uh, 25 years I've lived here, I've noticed that the church is really stepping up. We're still not there. But we're still well, – the churches that are working now with us, they're stepping up. They're showing love. There's a church that's involved with us that does a goat roast and invites all the new immigrants. And they have just a big goat roast, you know, like we have a big barbecue in the south and you get pork. They exchange that with goat and lamb. Mm-hmm. And what a great way to welcome them. And other churches have been uh, allowing uh, – inviting Muslims to learn English or they teach them a skill, or they teach them how to become citizens, uh, do like a citizen training to, so you, they can get their citizenship. So uh, uh, on one side, we're seeing Christians take the initiative, but you are correct, Bill. Majority of American believers still have that fear, and majority of American believers, we're asking them, don't, uh, don't look at the uh, situation just from human eyes. Look at it from... Jesus' eyes, and let's reach out. And 
one of the reasons Khaled, this guy uh, from Syria, asked me to talk to him, he said to me, I've been here three years. The only people helping me and my wife are the believers, mm. those who say we follow Jesus. And I was so touched to know that the the believers had already prepared his heart. Um, many times I describe it like um, clay. To be able to work with clay, you need to add water. If it's too dry, you can't work with it. I need some water. Right. And the love of the believers, the way we help people, our love melts the dryness. You know what I'm saying? It yes. takes away the dryness. I'm going to take a little break. Uh, Fuad Masri is my guest, and he is the founder of the Crescent Project. He's also uh, written a book that I'm going to ask him all about called Connecting with Muslims, a guide to communicating effectively. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to be talking to Fuad Masri. He is uh, the founder of the Crescent Project, and he also has written a book called Connecting with Muslims, A Guide to Communicating Effectively. And there are usually about seven common questions uh, that get asked in the exchange. But I want to back up before we get to that, Fuad, and just say I, I can't say with certainty I have on purpose been in the home of a Muslim or has a Muslim been in my home. Not that I'm very hospitable to start with in the first place, but um, I can probably say that I've not been in a Muslim home. No, that's, that's true. I mean, okay. they, uh, I would uh, I would uh, say that many times that's the case because sometimes when they come to America, they come as refugees or immigrants, and they have don't have much, so they many times feel that they don't want to invite people to their home because they feel like maybe they don't have all the necessary things to host you. And mm-hmm. uh, one of one of our partnering churches, that's what they do. They bring furniture to refugees. I was uh, with them on the West Coast and it was nice. We brought a you know a bed and a couch and a dining table uh, and uh, and uh, chairs. So it was a way to uh, they were Iraqis, uh, Iraqi refugees. And that was a way to build uh, the relationship. But you know, they were not gonna invite you or invite anyone to their home since they didn't have anything to pe- for people to sit on or eat on. But if you get invited, that's great to go. Of course. Uh, generally speaking, uh, I, you're welcome to bring something with you uh, as a, you know, as a thank you for inviting me. It could be something, could be a plant, could be baklava, sure. or, you know, something sweet. Uh, you can try to avoid any meals, and you know, pork and stuff like that. It depends on the family. Usually, it's if you you know make sure there's no pork that's good. But then, if the family is devout, they might say you know no pork products. So I okay, don't know, who knows what what else they they've got these rules. Um, but uh, to make uh, to make it a very much of a bridging time, you notice now in America that many times we meet Muslims in public places. So you know maybe coffee shops or parks. Or, uh, you know, at places where maybe it's like the YMCA. So it doesn't have to be in their home where you can start connecting with them. It could be, you know, on, on a plane. You sit by somebody who's 
you know, from the, from the Twin Cities, and you sh- you hit it off, and then maybe you guys can meet somewhere, um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on a coffee shop or a Middle Eastern store. Yeah. So it, it would be good to go to the house. The other thing, if you get invited to the house, uh, generally it would be good to follow a little bit of their tradition. So oh, sure. if you if you go in and they take their shoes off, so it would be good to take the shoes off. Of course, uh, with, of course. With, you know, let me ask you, Fuad, a, a home life kind of question. Um, when a, a woman puts on her hijab, um, is that so she can go out and be in public? Or w- when she comes home, does she take that off the way I would take off my winter coat in the winter when I go inside? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the hijab concept is is not in the Quran. All the Quran says that chaste women should dress modest. So all these shapes we see on the hijab, and we do a specific training on reaching Muslim women where we cover some of this. That's all uh, made later. Some of it from the hadith on how Muhammad made his wife dress. He had up to 13 wives, but at one time he had eight wives. So he had them cover in a specific way uh, because he was afraid his soldiers are staring at them. But... um, Today, for example, the Iranian shador that's designed by the Iranian leadership, uh, the burqa, the Afghan burqa, that's designed by the Afghan uh, imams. When you go to Saudi, the niqab and the hijab and the abaya, all these pieces that they have to put on, that's designed by the Saudi uh, leadership. So each culture has that. The concept of hijab, number one, means this woman is now eligible to be married, and she's chaste. She's pure. If she is married, her husband can give her permission to to cover or not to cover. Mm -hmm. So uh, the husband can say, oh, you know, we're in America, don't, or we're in America, you cover. Even even in certain communities, the husband might say that she covers even if his brother shows up. Maybe he doesn't trust his brother. So now the struggle that most Americans don't know is you can put the hijab on a young girl as young as seven years old. Well, why? She's only seven. Why does she have to put the hijab on? Mm -hmm. Well, she has to put the hijab on because she's already eligible to be married. You want to show that she's chaste. And in America, people when I say that, people, they got shocked that she's seven. Well, yeah, because Aisha married Muhammad when she was six. So for you and I, a a six-year-old girl, a 10-year-old girl, you know, young lady, you know, 11, 12, we we don't think of them as women. We think of them as children. And it's kind of a cultural taboo to even think of them in a sexual matter. Mm -hmm. Well, in in the Muslim community, no, because Muhammad's wife was at age six, now some say he didn't consummate the marriage till nine, then immediately, you know, the girl, once she turns seven, uh, the young lady, young uh, g- girl gets seven, then she has to put the hijab, some kind of form of hijab. And uh, I was in Detroit airport uh, catching a flight to Beirut, and there was a family there, nice Arab family. I didn't get a chance to talk to them. They were like two benches away. But their daughter was running around, and she was about six or seven, but she had her hijab on. And that's to show everybody that she's a Muslim, she's chaste, she's ready. And so the concept of hijab is to show that uh, these women are 
not only Muslim, but they are chaste. And if they're married and they wear it, then they're indicating that uh, they are uh, committed to their Islam, to their faith. Although uh, I have a couple of friends who are Muslim women who live in America. Uh, some are believers, some are not, who do not cover because it's not a requirement in the Quran if you study it. But that's another uh, discussion that the Muslim community is facing today. Mm-hmm. I'm a little shocked by all that, Fuad. I did not know that was what it was indicating. So I'm trying to sort that out in my head right now. It is It is a situation that um, I think it is a human rights issue that nobody is talking about. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested and our listeners are interested, they can Google, I love Google, put down child brides in the Arabian Peninsula. And you will get some articles that... Uh, Many people are avoiding the discussion, but this has been going on for 1,400 years where uh, uh, men in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 40s, 30s can marry uh, a, a woman as young as nine-year-old. Even right now in the Constitution of Iran, the age of, of uh, puberty, I think, for a girl, for a young lady, uh, is uh, 7.9 years is the age of puberty. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, so we call that like majority. And the age for for majority or, or uh, for, a, for a young man is 15. And this is the 21st century, and we have to deal with that. Let alone in America, we have now the gender conversation. So, so I, I think the 21st century is becoming a time that the truth has to be proclaimed because the darkness is all over us with these concepts, and we need to say that Jesus loves you, and um, the Bible says He created us. God created us in His own image, male and female. He created us in all His image. Is there? I'm feeling all over the map right now. When we start into this conversation, and there's this seven-year-old girl running around going, "Okay, she is eligible," and uh, just sort of is hard to process. And then I think of things like FGM. Does that still happen quite a bit? Yes, people can type that on the Google. According, uh, they can go to the website of World Health Organization, mm-hmm. and I'll give you, I'll give you the annual report of how many cases happening in the world. Um, and it's not only in Africa. Most people think it's an African thing. No, it happens across the Middle East and all the way to uh, um, the Indonesian islands. So. This is another issue, and my prayer is that God will raise up more women in general who love Jesus so much to take a stand against these things. And I don't know if the conversation, uh, our listeners want to dig deep in this, but this is something that the church should be involved in because our Savior says that we need to to protect the the ones who are most vulnerable. Yeah. Let me take a break, uh, Fuad, and then we'll be right back. Fuad Masri is my guest. Um, he is a uh, founder of the Crescent Project, and you can go uh, learn more about that. And author of a book, we're going to continue to our, our discussion with him in just a minute.
Welcome back to the show. I have Fuad Masri on the show today. Delighted to have him back on the program. He's been on several times, and he's always uh, so... um, (laughs) Let's see. He's challenging to me because I hear things about the Muslim faith that that, uh, rattles me a little bit, but I also... uh, want to walk away from this hour feeling better equipped to reach uh, my Muslim neighbors, friends for Christ or anyone that I might encounter in a, uh, in a job situation or who knows where you might have an encounter and you want to be equipped. So the Crescent Project is C-R-E-S-C-E-N-T-P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot org. And you can go learn more about uh, his uh, ministry and what they're doing at the um, Crescent Project. He's also written a book called Connecting with Muslims, A Guide to Connecting Effectively. And uh, Fuad, I'm just, it, we were talking about uh, FGM before we went, and without going into too much detail, you either know what it means or it doesn't. And if you don't know what it means, Google it. Uh, but you said there was a, a number uh, of how many procedures took place. Do you have that number readily available? I'm just curious. Um. Last time I checked, it was seven million. Oh, uh, oh, you got to be that kidding! Takes place seven million, and the ages range could range between four or five years old to seven years old. Uh, sometimes okay. it could be older. Wow. But if if people are interested in the topic, it's known as female circumcision, and they can Google that. Okay, uh, it is is it a issue that nobody wants to touch. Uh, no. Yeah. Well, let's if, if we can let's spend some time um, out of your book uh, talking about some of the common questions that Muslims ask about Christianity and how we can be better equipped to respond in context to a, a Muslim seeker. Yeah, absolutely. Today we are finding out the Muslim people are the most hungry people. I can't tell you. I travel. I'm in campuses, I'm on, in different, on a bus, on a train, in a plane, and Muslims are the most hungry to ask about spiritual things. And what's happening today for us as believers, we need to be ready. Jesus says, always be ready uh, to, to tell about me. Go tell everyone about the good news. And Peter says, uh, be prepared to t- share with everybody the hope that is within you. Uh, I like the word in the Greek, it says apologia, to give mm-hmm. an answer everyone. So many times in that book, we wanted to focus on the idea that seize the opportunity and let them see your heart as a believer. So many times the conversation could become political. And I don't, I understand. It's okay. I, Arabs love to talk about politics and that's fine. Many people want to talk about politics, but use politics as a way to bring back the conversation to Jesus. So let's say I'm traveling and somebody starts talking about the Middle East or war in Iraq, or whatever. So I listen, and then I ask them, do you think that politics will solve the problem of war? Will will the human political machine that we have today solve the problem of war? Well, it won't, because historically, the human effort doesn't solve hate, doesn't solve anger, doesn't solve, solve murder. It's Jesus who comes in and change hearts. So that's the first thing we want to do is move the conversation to the central teachings of Jesus. And that's where I always try to come back to the Bible or come back to Christ. The other thing we want to make sure is that at the conversation, the way the conversation ends is very important 
uh, as much as you begin the conversation. So in the book, Connecting with Muslims, we ask, we ask the believers to make sure that when they end the conversation, that they keep the door open for more conversation, for follow-up. Maybe give them a Bible. Maybe give them a booklet. Maybe give them something, a website, or something on audio. Or maybe you can help them download something. There's a lot of things now that you can download on uh, on iPhones and and these smartphones, and it's exciting because I mean I was in I was in the Twin Cities talking to a Somali young man, Abdullah, wonderful young man, really open to the gospel, and we downloaded the Bible and asked him, "Do you want it in Somali?" He goes, "Oh, I only speak Somali. I can't read it because he was born and raised in the Twin Cities. The kid is an American boy, you know." So yeah. he, he has Somali parents, but he's an American. He speaks English. He lived there. So we downloaded the Bible in English, and he started reading it. And uh, we were reading in Matthew on the uh, on the Annunciation and uh, of the coming of the Messiah. So the beautiful thing today is you open the conversation and keep it going in a loving manner, a friendly manner, in a way that you're responding to the questions with the teachings of Jesus. Um, I just took a, a taxi here, and the gentleman driving, was his name was Kazim. Kazim was from Nigeria. So, salam alaikum, brother. We started talking, and he started talking about the benefit of marrying four wives. And that was a great way for me to move from marriage according to Islam to marriage according to Jesus. And then talking about how Jesus is the one who gives us power to be a good husband, how Jesus gives us a power to be a good partner for my wife. And so this is where I, we're challenging the Christian believers. You're rubbing shoulders with Muslims all the time. Our communities are changing, not only in America, everywhere. Today, the, the global village is happening. There are people moving from everywhere. Right now in the Twin Cities, you have Muslims, you have Hindus, you have people who are Sikh. There are people from everywhere. And so as we rub shoulders the number one thing we need to remind ourselves, we are the ambassadors of Jesus. So how do we show Christ in our words, in our actions? We're not saying we're perfect, but we are going to be the ones who are sure our, our uh, lifestyle is attractive. And, and the way we, we communicate, responding, loving, uh, being open to say, oh, I don't know. Many times they ask me a question, I, you know, I've been in ministry for many years. So some, you know, most of the questions I've heard, but sometimes they ask me questions and say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I, let me check it out for you. Mm-hmm. And, an, and an encouraging note for, for our listeners, that I've been doing this for, what, more than 30 years. Every time I share the gospel, there is fear. But I know that that fear is not from the Lord because Jesus always says, do not fear. So that fear is a dart from the enemy. And mm-hmm. how do we defeat the enemy? The Bible says in Ephesians 6, through the shield of faith. So we, by faith, share our story. It doesn't matter if we have fear or not. It doesn't matter if the person is open or not at that moment. As long as he is listening, I'm sharing my story. Uh, I just, yesterday I had Omar, a great guy from Palestinian background, sweet young man in his in his 30s and really had a very tough life. Uh, he's now in the United States. Uh, he's immigrated here. Um, trying to make ends meet, I share with him my testimony, and he'll listen. I don't know where he is spiritually, but as long as he was listening, I was sharing and being a light to his life, bringing the light of Jesus. So 
uh, Fuad, I know um, it feels like you, you get to cheat a little bit as an Arab Christian, you know, versus me as a you know a middle-aged white guy, uh, <laughs> because your your sense of being able to connect is so instantaneous. But I remember talking to a, a guy who was talking about his conversion to Christianity, and he came to faith in Christ. I think he was eighteen or nineteen. And announced it to his father, and his father's response to him was, "Okay, you are now officially no longer my son." And I, you know, mm. and I know that it's worth it for him to come to faith in Christ and lose his relationship with his earthly father for the time being. You know, thankfully that's been restored. But uh, is it more helpful to be counseled by a person like you who has an, an understanding better of the culture as to how to better guide? these people um, or these seekers to a new faith in Christ? That was a muddy question. Uh, I mean, it was a muddy question. Yeah, but I I mean, I want to know how do I become better, better equipped to, um, you know, know what the consequences are going to be for some of these seekers. Number one, that we encourage our, uh, encourage the church to do is our job is to shine the light and share the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. My job is not the response. It's not my job, the response of the believer, the Muslim who exactly. wants to decide to follow Christ. That's exactly. not my job. So exactly. Thank you for telling me that. That's number one. So number one is that you and I Bill, you and I, we need to be about our Father's business. So yes. our Heavenly Father says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed when you uh, uh, pray for those who persecute you and say ill about you. Uh, uh, blessed are you when you do this to those who are in need. Uh, blessed are you when you uh, take care of those who, uh, remember what Jesus says, those who have... Uh, uh, you know, beware if you have a stumbling block. So beware when you help people. Uh, and Jesus says, uh, go and share with, with everybody. Uh, in the mark, it's clear. It says, go and preach. And the word preach here, proclaim. Go and proclaim the good news. In Matthew, it says, go make disciples of all the nations. So uh, you and I on our side, is our job is to be our father's business, be yes. loving, share the story. Their response, that's God's work. That's God's working in them. So, for example, you have Muslims who become believers where their parents even try to kill them. Wow. Uh, we, we've had that happen. We have people who get harassed. And the sad part is many times the believers from Muslim background, they are young in their faith, but they get huge persecution. Like they are big in the faith, or many times like grown in the faith. Well, in America, sometimes... When you become a believer, it's okay, and then it's later when your persecution increases as you grow in your faith. Because in this culture, it's so open and, and kind of uh, accommodating. While many times in Muslim cultures, they panic. It's infused with the culture. It's infused with shame and honor. It's infused with politics. So once you say, I want to follow Jesus, everything kind of comes at you. We're already talking to a Pakistani young lady and an Iraqi young man who's both their families really freaking out and uh, giving them a hard time. But on the other hand, there are people who we discovered where their parents are not that way. Many times they are open. 
uh, a Turkish young lady becomes a believer. Her mom was like, what's going on here? So for two weeks, she wasn't talking. She was frustrated. Then her mom started saying, I want to know more. Can I come to church? And then her sister became a believer. Then the mom became a believer. So suddenly now, all the ladies in the household are believers, and now they're praying for the husband. And so uh, many. what I'm trying to say here this, is that, please, as, as a believers, do not underestimate God's work. So let us shine the light, and we don't know how things happen. You know, it's, it's not our job to control the future. Our yeah. job is just to be in the present. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, uh, now, one of the things, this is important, Bill, that you and I were on the same page with this, is that it's harder for us as believers to be quiet when we need to be quiet. And sometimes for me personally, I think that I should tell my Muslim friend everything about the gospel in the first moment I meet him. No, you don't have to. Follow the leadings of Jesus. Let Jesus lead the conversation. That's a wonderful counsel, uh, Fuad. Let me take a little break. Fuad Masri is my guest. He is the founder of the Crescent Project. Go to crescentproject.org. He's also written a book called Connecting with Muslims, a guide to communicating effectively. We'll take a short break and be right back. Back to the show. I'm so glad to be talking to Fuad Masri. Uh, he is the founder of the Crescent Project and also author of many books. One that we're chatting about a little today is Connecting with Muslims, a guide to connect, communicating effectively. And the book helps explore uh, the kind of common questions that Muslims will ask when it comes to Christianity. And uh, Fuad, maybe you give us another one or two in our time remaining. Absolutely. Many times... Uh, we get asked questions, and if you notice, our Savior was wonderful in taking questions and sharing with them about the kingdom of God. So many times they will ask a question that's political, and Jesus will answer with a question, or he will answer the question, or sometimes he doesn't answer the question and tells them a story, like the Good Samaritan story. Uh, what Another favorite is when he asked them to give him a coin, and Jesus says, whose picture is on the coin? And they said, Caesar. So... Christ, our Savior says, uh, whatever is Caesar, give, render back to Caesar, and what is God, give it back to God. So we need to be the same way. When we get a question from Muslims, we need to listen to the question and uh, answer it by bringing the conversation to Christ. So I put down in this book, there are many other questions, but we put the most common questions. And the most common question is that, has the Injil been corrupted? So many times you look historically uh, Muslims historically had issues with the New Testament, and, they, uh, and we call that Injil, which is Arabic for comes from the good uh, from the Greek word Evangelion. So that was the name given to the Book of Jesus, Injil. So many times Muslims are taught, well, the Injil has been corrupted. Well, what does that mean? For some, it means that the text was changed. For others, it means that the text was lost. We never had the Injil. And other people might say, oh, well, it's corrupted in the interpretation. Or another Muslim would say, it's corrupted because you took all the verses about Muhammad out. Or others would say, you know, 
you added more to the faith than what Jesus said. So the word corruption is very much like a blanket statement. It's a big statement. Each person is different. So we take this question, and is the injury corrupted? And we put it in the form of responding on uh, multiple levels, historical, theological, and logical. And the reason we start with that is we want Muslims to see that the Bible, the book of the Christians, is trustworthy. You might not want to read it. Uh, you might not want to follow it. That's fine. But you cannot say it's been corrupted. If God sends it, then God has to keep his message. If God allows his message to be changed, then how can he hold people accountable? You know, how can you hold me accountable uh, on the speed limit if there's no speed limit sign? So how would I know what's the speed limit unless you tell me the speed limit mm-hmm. on the highway? How can God keep us accountable if every time he sends a message, the humans change it? So it's a very important conversation with Muslims because now we can move forward to the next step. If I try to prove Christianity by logic, well, that's good. But then someone else can prove another religion by logic. If somebody says, oh, you have to prove Christianity through experience, well, we can bring another religion and prove it by experience. The difference between us and others is we believe in revelation. Revelation, God reveals himself. God revealed himself to Moses. God reveals himself to the prophets. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, is a very powerful verse. It says, God who spoke through many ways and through many prophets, you know, opening the Red Sea and manna from heaven, the miracles of the old. He spoke through many ways and through many prophets. In these last days, he spoke through his son, Jesus. So it's a very powerful verse for us because our presentation to Muslims, yes, it is, Christianity is logical. Yes, there is experience. But the powerful message of the, of, of the gospel is that God revealed himself 2,000 years, years ago by the incarnation of his word. So Christ is the incarnation, and that's what we're inviting them to. We're inviting them to the family of Jesus. So we can't move the conversation without starting with the basic foundation That is, the Bible is trustworthy. If the Bible is not trustworthy, then we can come up with our own religion any time. So so that's one of the questions we deal with. Now, there's another one on what is uh, Trinity, another one on the Sonship of Christ. What does that mean when we say he's the Son of God? Uh, Another question is uh, on Muhammad in the Bible. Another one is on who died on the cross. Uh, But uh, wrapping up a little bit on the concept of three gods. It's important that we know as Christians that when a Muslim says Trinity is three gods and we worship three gods, always ask him or her what three gods. Mm. Majority of the time, I would even say 95% of the time, when you ask a Muslim what are the three gods Christians believe in, they will tell you God the Father, Mary the Mother, and Jesus the Son. Wow. They believe that our Trinity is that God had sexual relationship with Mary. You know, it's a blasphemy for us to even say that. Mm-hmm. God forgive me even for saying that. But they are taught that this is what we believe. And that is not true. We do not believe there was a sexual act. We believe it's a miracle. The incarnation was a miracle. And so it, it's important that as you talk to Muslims, if they throw this at you, 
oh, you know, the reason we're not interested to know about Jesus and Christianity because you guys believe in three gods. It's important to address that. Ask them what three gods. So let me ask you this, uh, Fuad. In, in Islam, Allah is one and absolutely unique, correct? Yes. Can he be known? Uh, no, because God is transcendent, and uh, you have to think of it this way, uh, that God is the master, you're the slave. Okay. So a slave and a master don't have a relationship other than obedience. You have the rules, you obey. But in the Bible, it describes us as a family. When we pray, Jesus says, you study prayer, our Father who are in heaven. So it's a relationship based on uh, love, based on unconditional love. Uh, Jesus it, uh, uses uh, the word that God loves all people. Uh, he is, doesn't have any favorites. So this is the difference. We, we can know God. In Islam, you cannot. Now, let me add something for us today that as you meet people, you will talk to a Muslim and you find out they start and talk about, oh, we know God. Once they start talking like that, you find out they are not Muslim Sunnis or Muslim Shia. They are Sufi. Sufism is a cult in Islam. It started by a person from in the Turkish area. He borrowed Christian ideas and Hindu ideas, and it's infused in what we call Sufism. And Sufism is very mystical because Islam is very rules-oriented. Sufism comes in. And many times when I talk even to Western people who say, oh, I converted to Islam, when you dig deeper in the conversation, you find they really didn't convert to Islam. They converted to Sufism. They converted to uh, this idea of ex- ex- uh, ecstasy with God, mm. uh, this idea of uh, the way the Hindu understanding of spirituality is similar. The idea of meditation and chanting and uh, the most common for us is we know about the whirling dervishes. The whirling dervishes of Turkey is a is a path, one of those ways to experience God, and it's under the big umbrella called Sufism. In many Muslim countries, Sufism um, is illegal, and also you can be executed as a Sufi. Um, and so it's important to to know that um, if you are talking to a Muslim. And they start talking about the idea of we know God, you know. Um, I was at the post office uh, in in one of the cities. I stopped to get in America to get some stamps. And the gentleman behind the counter, so, you know, my uh, my driver's license, oh, he goes, oh, you're Arab? Because I said, yeah, he goes, oh, I'm Muslim. Uh, my dad, Persian, my mom, American. I said, oh, nice meeting you. And uh, we started talking. And the more he started talking, I said, I said, excuse me, are you Sufi? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm Sufi. I'm like, oh, so you're not Sunni. He goes, well, I listen to different people. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, I'm glad you're in America because in some countries you can't even practice your your religion. So uh, it's it's important when they say they're Muslim, they might not be Muslim. They might be Sufi, which is a cult under the umbrella of Islam. Interesting. Now, uh, Fuad, we only have a couple minutes left, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, if if Allah is not uh, can't be known— and yet you pray five times a day. Is the prayer uh, more of a, a ritual and a duty, or who are you connecting with on a transcendent level? 
when you pray in Islam, you're not talking to God. When you pray in Islam, you only can recite the prayers in Arabic. Okay. You cannot speak your own language, so there's no relationship there. I'm speaking in Arabic, and I'm reciting the first verses of the Quran, the first seven verses. Some traditions will allow you to use other verses, but it has to be in Arabic. It has to be Quranic. And then when you finish, you look to your right, even when you're alone. You look to your right and say, Salaamu Alaikum. And then you look to your left and you say, Salaamu Alaikum. And you, you ask Muslims, you're alone. Who are you greeting? Well, they're greeting the angel on the right, who keeps track of your good works, and the angel on the left, who keeps track of your bad works. When you pray, when you are doing Salat, you are not talking to God. You are performing the exact ritual to show God that you did it just right so they can keep track of your points. Wow, that's uh, amazing uh, insight to uh, Muslim prayer because they do it all the time. So thank you for sharing that. And, and Fuad, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I, I love talking to you. You're just, uh, you're just one of my favorite guests. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for the opportunity. We'd love to hear from, our, from your listeners. They're welcome to go to crescentproject.org and get the book and get other resources. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. Yeah, thank you so much. Fuad Masri, again, has been my guest. Crescentproject.org is where you go to learn more about that and pick up the book. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.